start off by asking you all a question. If you could ask God or Jesus only one question, what would it be? Uh, some little children ages like two to five actually got to answer this question. And uh, some of their answers were like crazy deep, man. Like, it was like, God, where did you come from? And then like others are just like super silly all like, uh, when it rains, is that God peeing on us? <laughs> and then some, uh, my personal favorite was, Jesus, if, if you didn't have a sister, then why do I have to have one? <laughs> and, um, you know, disclaimer, you know, Jesus did have some siblings. But uh, similarly, in Mark chapter 10, a man gets the opportunity to ask Jesus a question. And if you could please turn your Bibles to Mark 10, verses 17 through 22. And, you know, there's a lot that we can learn from little children. In, the, in fact, Jesus warns us to be like little children directly before this passage. By this point, Jesus has performed many miracles, healings, uh, predicts his death. Then the transfiguration occurs, predicts his death a second time. And right before where we'll pick up, uh, Jesus preaches to his mostly Jewish crowd about avoiding divorce and about being like little children. Why do you think the ordering of this passage is the way it is? More on that later. But we'll pick up at verse 17. It reads, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Next slide, please. Sorry. Do I have a slide thing up here? That, okay. <laughs> All right. So, what just happened? I know that I can read this passage and I can instantly get very uncomfortable. Like, bro, what's wrong? Like, is Christianity just about being good enough? Or is Christianity just about selling everything you have? Like, what, what was missing? Like, my man's little Richie. He, he approached Jesus he followed all the commandments, but he didn't do one thing correctly, and he misses out. And that's the end of his story? Like, is the rich man, is the rich young ruler a good guy? He, he went and he fell on his knees in reverence before God. He runs up to Jesus. How many times do we shy away from approaching the throne of Jesus? But this man runs to Jesus. He's kept all the commandments since he was a boy. I know I certainly have, and I've, I've stolen, I've committed adultery, lusting with my eyes, way more sins, but not even to mention how being a rich man, it could have been so easy to want to defraud or to give false testimony or steal, but he claims he was completely blameless, but because of one thing, this guy does not make it into heaven. Is that fair? Is Jesus unreasonable? Let's take a closer look. The rich man's question is, what should I do? Works-based approach. The rich man keeps things shallow and on the exterior. With Jesus, he wants to check off boxes. and 
He's, he's seen everything that he has achieved in life, and he believes that he can achieve his own way into heaven. He didn't want Jesus to be his savior. He wanted Jesus to show him how to be his own savior. Sometimes we can come in with expectations and we don't actually want to change. Like uh, we just want Jesus to validate something that we think is true. But Jesus' love doesn't allow this because he knows it's insufficient for us. Uh, We would always be asking, like, what must I do? What must I do? And we'd always be looking for validation, desperately trying to earn something that we could never deserve. So what's the answer then? Well, looking more at Jesus' response to the rich man, very interesting. First, he asks, why do you call me good? Within their culture, a rabbi would have never been called good. Uh, The Jews had a very good distinction of human relative goodness compared to godly goodness, uh, absolute, unattainable perfection. So the question kind of forces the ruler to reflect, like, Sonny, do you know what you're saying? Do you understand what this means, child? And it means no one is good, and all are so desperate for my grace, and you need me as your savior. Even more interesting than that, then Jesus lists some commandments that uh, he's kept, but he leaves out one big one. The first and most important command was, you shall not have any other gods before me in Exodus 23. Jesus seems to let this uh, rich man, you know, see some of the works that he's checked off. But then he separates out what the real problem sees to be. Jesus gives him a very specific order that he gives no one else in the New Testament. Sell everything you have exposing the rich man's idolism of earthly treasure over his treasure in heaven. But uh, next slide. Uh, Why couldn't, thinking about how he didn't inherit the kingdom of heaven, why could the children receive this blessing but not the rich young ruler? Because the children can have, children know that they receive the blessing of Jesus without trying to make it there themselves. They know that they're not worthy of it and they're not pretending like they don't need it. We need to receive God's blessing in the same way. Children, they got no clout, no rights, no power, yet Jesus blessed them and acknowledged their salvation. In the story of the rich young ruler, we see that the well-to-do man who claimed to obey the law, he went away grieved because he proves that he has no faith other than faith in his property and himself. And this shows that we need... The way to the cross is a sense of humility and vulnerability. Not vulnerability like openness, but an idea of this susceptibility that sin corrupts us and is just out there to destroy us. And um, even think about the passage before when uh, people were led to uh, divorce away from God's will by their pride and um, their sin. And even before that, many miracles were continuously done, wonders seen by Jesus. All of his disciples didn't get it. People weren't understanding. They were just choked out by what the world tells them, by what they wanted, not seeing their need for Jesus in that way. And I think this whole story can get me to reflect on my own heart in life. Coming to UVA before studying the Bible, I always thought, you know, I'm a good person. That should be enough. Like, I went to parties. I drank a little. I mistreated women. I watched stuff online. I only cared about my success and my resume. Uh, all these things that would just bring comfort to me and make me feel secure. 
And I didn't care what that would really do to Jesus or whatever, how that would affect me. I like went to church some, I prayed, and I'm like, that should be enough. Like, what more could Jesus want from me? And little did I know how much more I could want from Jesus. But uh, I still struggle with idolism. My deep-rooted desire for romantic relationships can come before my quiet times, my academics, my sharing faith. Like, it's so bad that last night, instead of writing this sermon, I got relationship advice from my little sister. <laughs> uh, mostly to make her feel special and trusted or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, that's how wired I feel with this sort of thing. I also idolize uh, college success to the point that I cheat on lab reports or glanced around during tests. But I'm, I need, I'm realizing that like, even though I feel like I'm good, if I can't be able to conquer these things, like, I will not be able to inherit the kingdom of God. Neither will all of us if we do have these idols. And we all have idols, whether we realize it or not. For college students, it could be, whether it be your resumes or jobs or relationships or success, partying, any of those things. For the teens, where are we at, teens? Hey, there you go. Uh, It could be social media, relationships, technology, video games, appearance. For the older folks, success, money, family, uh, jobs, promotions, and a couple questions for you guys to reflect on. What's a specific thing that Jesus would tell you to surrender? What or who do you enjoy more than your time with God? What gets you happiest the quickest? What gets you angriest or saddest the quickest? What are you getting from these idols that you aren't letting yourself get from God? But, you know, what's even the point? Like, why do they matter so much? Like, why doesn't Jesus just give us, like, a free pass? Looking back at verse 21, I think it comes back to how Jesus looked at him and loved him. And Jesus loves us enough to challenge us out of our destructive, harmful ways. These idols can make people very desperate, turning them to nothing. These idols blind us. They destroy. They lead to destruction. And these idols can stick deeper in us than our love for Jesus. Now, idols will never be enough. And, and Jesus' love for us goes deeper than we can often want. We have deep fears, deep desires. And when challenges come, we fall to our deepest securities. And we need to make sure that those things are Jesus. And I'm not saying that you don't love Jesus more than uh, anyone else or more than your job. But what about where these idols come from? Jesus' love for us is deep, so let's try and dig a little deeper here. <laughs> All right. Does your love for Jesus go deeper than your fear of inadequacy, or your fear of uncertainty, or of change, or of missing out? Next slide, please. Here's a beautiful list of deepest fears that people can have. Uh, Inadequacy. Uh, Just thinking about all these different things. Like, we fill ourselves with these idols based on these deeper core things. Like, for instance, uh, like, uh, if you idolize success, it could come from, like, a fear of failure. Maybe you idolize, or maybe if you struggle with missing out, you could idolize, like, parties or uh, wanting cool friends over Jesus or your academics and uh, just all these things. I really encourage you guys to look through this and jot down which of these do you struggle with the most and really journal how, do you, how these influence you and how idols can arise from these and how they take you away from the will of Jesus. Um, if you can't read them, I'll read them quickly. Inadequacy, uncertainty, failure, rejection, missing out, change, losing control, 
being judged, something bad happening, or fear of getting hurt. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, even thinking about when these hardest storms come in our life, Jesus needs our love for him to run deeper than our fears if we are to stay forever close and forever faithful. Jesus does not want us to get caught up in works or perfectionism. We need not someone who will tell us what to do, but someone who will love us. We need not to be perfect. We need to be deeply loved and to deeply love Jesus back. I know for me, this sort of thing can be difficult, especially, you know, people can be very rushed, like, I got to do this or I don't have time to do this. And sometimes we can feel left behind, or if we aren't doing these things, then we don't have enough, or we won't be saved. But we don't need to be doing these things or doing anything to be saved. We just need to sit humbly at the throne of Jesus and just love Jesus deeply. And it's this kind of deep love that Jesus calls us to change. So, uh, next slide. Uh, So, here are some ideas for change, some practicals that I find really helpful to help me to have that deeper love for Jesus. And I made a nice little acronym here. Deep. Oof. That's deep. Wow. Wow. Got myself in the back there. All right. And yeah, uh, deep. Dwell on the cross. Thinking about how much you've been saved from. Thinking about where you'd be without Jesus in your life. Just focusing in on that sacrifice. Exiling fear. Casting it out. All those fears that, uh, like for me, inadequacy, uh, control, or a failure casting them out, rebuking them, uh, exiling them, telling them no, just not letting them rule your life, embracing his perfect word. We can't love God unless we know God's word, what God says, who he is. So we need to be making sure that we are being filled up and embracing his word and praying, thanksgiving, and gratitude, remembering all the different things that God has done for us, gives us constantly, and just being so grateful for those things. And um, you know, imagine if we all followed these things, how much peace we would have, how free and light we would feel, how much more spirit-led we would all be, and how much deeper our love in the church would be with our love of, with, from Jesus overflowing, and how many more people would get close to Jesus just witnessing that love, our families, our close friends. Jesus wants every single one of you to be filled by his perfect, never-ending, deep love. And that, through, and that though our fears and idols are deep, for us to love Jesus deeper and give his perfect will and let his perfect will guide us as we pursue the humility of a little child. Oceans will rise and our empires will fall, but we can love Jesus deeper through it all. To God be the glory. Amen. <laughs>
Like he's, okay, tell me what I gotta do. All right, give me a puzzle, give me a problem, give me a job, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow it out of the water. A lot of you to get into the University of Virginia, that's how you get into UVA. All your life throughout has been so far, been performing pretty well. It's been going well, you got into a great school. And you continue this whole life of what must I do, what must I do, what must I do? And even he, the, the teacher, sorry, the rich man kind of embraces this sense of relativism that is so common nowadays, which is good teacher. And Jesus goes, hold on, you got to reassess what's good. And almost every person who sits down and studies the Bible, what do they say? You read your Bible very much? No, but I'm a good person. How can you pray? I pray sometimes, but I'm a good person. We can think, as long as I'm a good person, I will be saved. So in a lot of ways, this passage actually is very indicative of the world we live in today, which is an achievement-based validation, but also a relative view of what it means to be good. And our world is having a problem with this, because when you remove God from the fabric of society, then it becomes everyone's opinion on what to do. And when it becomes people's opinion, people take really hard stances, like if you don't believe in this stance, you're evil. You're an awful person. Well, based on what? Based on how you make me feel. Well, that's really relative. And so everyone feels all these things. And I'll tell you what, Josh made a great point about Jesus is trying to go deeper. Jesus is trying to help the rich young ruler understand this is not religion. This is not university. This is not a job. Jesus looks at him and loves him. And I would love to see what that looks like. Obviously, Mark... The author here knew something. He, either he saw it or he heard about it. Or, but somehow Jesus looks at this guy and loves him. Another note about love is it's not universally permissive. So if Jesus looks at him and loves him, he goes, you can do whatever you want because I love you. Love does not mean just letting someone do whatever they want. Love has restrictions. Love has boundaries. Anybody in a relationship understands that love has boundaries. And so with God, love is boundaries. But he says, looks at him and loves him, and he gives him a radical calling. A calling to sell everything and give it to the poor. If you're reading this for the first time, you are shocked. You're like, that, is that what I got to do? Is that common? Is that kind of par for the course here? If you've read this before, you go, oh, this is the only time that Jesus says this. As long as you sell everything in your heart. You know, you don't have to really sell everything. It's a metaphor. And as long as you love God inside, you'll, you can do what you want outside. Just have faith. And we can kind of actually kick aside this story a bit. Instead of let it have the shock value that it has. That Jesus tells an awesome, successful person to sell everything before you come follow me. And let's see how the, the apostles respond uniquely. If we keep reading, I have a different version, NET, but... In verse 23, it says, Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at these words. But again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, This is impossible for mere humans. But not for God. All things are possible for God. Now, we see, we see church like this, don't we? We see things, and we even talk about it. Uh, like, if you talk about, if someone asks you a question like, how have you been doing spiritually recently? 
How do you answer? Is it based on you, how close you are to God? Or is it based on these things God's giving you to be successful in life? I'm doing great with God. I got getting A's on my tests. I got money in the bank. I got this boyfriend. I'm doing great with God. But Jesus is saying that is not an indication of, clo- of relationship with God. Jesus says, rich young ruler, I want you to follow me. But you've got to, this is not a question about achievement. It's a question about uh, dedication. This is not a matter of jumping through hoops. It's a matter of allegiance and devotion. Sell everything, then come follow me. A lot of us, I think, struggle with this passage because we approach Jesus with a lack of trust. The reason that the rich man does not accept Jesus' challenge because he does not trust his words. It's just a simple investment. Sell your material possessions and you will gain treasure in heaven. If I told you today, give me $500 and I guarantee that you'll have $5 million. People are like, okay, yeah, where, uh, where do I sign? Yes, I'll do that. It's just a simple mathematical investment. And he says no. Because he doesn't trust that it's real. He doesn't trust the words of Jesus. He has more trust in his material wealth. And I think we live in a world, the reason we can't get deep with Jesus is because we've been taught by the world not to trust. And boy, is it hard to trust in this world. It is hard. We're, we're, we're taught. I've been walking around, you know, I walked around UVA on Tuesday, first, first day of classes, and just kind of noticing things and just kind of looking around, sharing our faith a little bit. But it's funny, even when you go talk, sometimes we go up to strangers and we invite them to church. Like some of you here today were probably invited by a stranger to come to church. But, hey, that's okay. You're here, and that's awesome. That's how I was brought out. But I noticed a lot of people, what they do at UVA, when, they, when I share my faith with them, you know what they do? That's, that's funny, because I play a little game in my head and see if they do it. But their eyes go down my body. They look for something to give them a clue about what my angle is. Now, if I wear a blue red shirt, almost always their eyes go, no. Look, look, no, no. One guy in the bus was like, you going to talk to me about Christ or something? And I said, do you want to talk about Christ or something? Um, and he, uh, he said, nah. He didn't even take his headphones out. But I was like, man, wow, okay. But they look like, who is this guy? What's he after? What's his angle? And I don't, I don't honestly blame him. Like, that's how, like, if we engage in the world, we're, we, we kind of get burned by a lot of relationships. People take advantage of us. Family members, uh, boyfriends, girlfriends, people just do what they, what's going to be best for them. And we're even kind of taught to do that. And then I noticed that, that, like, we live in a world, too, where you kind of just retreat toward what's most safe. The other thing I noticed is that you walk around UVA and you see a lot of segregation. I was noticing this. You see four or five African-American girls walking together. Uh, you see four or five white guys walking together, three or four. And I even noticed there's a Christian group, but it was just all Asian, right? And I didn't see a lot of integration racially. And I just thought about it's, but I, can, but I know why. I can, I can guess why that would be. Just go to what's safe. And what might not, and I just, there's so much in our world that teaches us to harden our heart, to, to close off, to lean away, to pull back. And then here we meet this guy, Jesus, who's like, trust in me. But how do you trust somebody like that? How? How can, how can some of you guys trust? There are people in this room who actually study less 
so they can come to church. You're UVA like, that is nuts. You, if I could study more, yes, option study more. But there are people in this room who have broken off relationships because they want to love Jesus and they want to do what's right. There are people in this room who have had their kids quit sports so that their kid can go to church or go to a Bible study or just have more time with the family so they can have a family devotional. They're, that's happening in this room. Yeah. Are those people crazy? Like, how, how can they make that decision? How can we trust? You know, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I think that the power of this verse is really in the text itself. But one thing I want to, I want to encourage all of you visiting today to take a good, hard look at Jesus' words. Look at his words. His, and, and ask yourself, can, is this somebody I can trust? Is this a person in whom I can place my unshaking trust? Because the reality is, the rest of the world, Jesus knows this, with this guy, it will not be enough. And we'll keep swinging back and forth between... Find someone to marry. No, don't find someone to marry. Get a great job. No, serve the community. There's simplicity. No, complexity. Relativism. You know, stringentism. But stringentism, right? Legalism is probably the right one. But like, what is... Our world will keep swinging back and forth and everything around us. Jesus says, right? The storms will come and beat against that house. And it will fall with a great crash unless it has a foundation. All you have to do today is study out Jesus' words with somebody. Go to lunch today. Study out Jesus' words. Even if you've known the words, even if you've seen the words, the words may not actually hit you. This man knew the commandments since he was a boy and was obeying the commandments since he was a boy, didn't get into the kingdom of heaven. Because he didn't trust. Trust is huge. Do we trust God? And that's a simple way to check your heart. Just look at the last week. Look at the last two weeks of your life. What have you done? What decisions have you made? Have you only followed God when everything else was taken care of? Have you given God your leftovers? If I have time, I'll read the Bible. If I have time, I'll pray. If I finish my homework, then I'll do a Bible study. Oh, but I really trust God. No, trust is like, no, those things will actually be okay. I'm going to have my priorities straight. You know, a big thing you hear a lot today uh, is I don't have time. You hear a lot in college, and especially when you're out of college, it's hard not to laugh. But you hear, like, I don't have time, because when you're out of college, you're like, no, you have, you have time. But everyone in life has time. They have different priorities for their time. I don't have time. No, you have different priorities for your time. What are your priorities? And we can look at this Bible and just say, well, it's just like any other religion. It's just a, a, a bunch of words on a page. It's just like, but Jesus is saying, no, this is not religion. We don't have a book with a bunch of things to do to obey, to be accepted. We have a God who broke through history to give us a person. Because he knows how deeply we need not things to obey, but a person to trust. That's what we all need. And if you, I, would, I would challenge the rest of UVA today. If we had cameras in all the rooms at UVA, I would wonder if you saw a room as ethnically diverse, racially diverse, Diverse with age, uh, diverse with interests, and socioeconomic class. Like, I don't think you'd find this anywhere else right now. On grounds. Unless it was like a forced kind of classroom situation. How is it that all, 
How is it that we all can trust? Many of you are doing it today. Because we're not trying to achieve, we're not trying to be enough, we're not trying to find validation in each other, we're finding validation in Him. And let's close out with the very last thing He says. Is this a person you can trust? Verse 32. They were on their way going up to Jerusalem. Jesus was going ahead of them, and they were amazed. But those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Look, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the experts in the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him severely, and kill him. Yet after three days, he will rise again. The reason that we can trust Jesus is that he's already shown us how much he loves us. The people in life you can trust are those that have already put pedal to the metal. They've already shown you they're going to sacrifice for you. And Jesus sacrifices to the utmost. But we can also trust Jesus because Jesus trusted God. And then even Jesus in a time where they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. They, they, he suffered, but he made no threats. Yet Jesus entrusted himself. That's what 1 Peter 2.21 says. Jesus entrusted himself to one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that you might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You're able to actually say, I'm going to spend less to go to church because it's not about being perfect. Jesus loves me. Of course I can love him. Yes, I'll be there. Yes, I can break up with that person because I don't find validation in that person. They're not the end-all, be-all. Jesus is. Yes, I can go about it with all my heart. I can, you know, UVA, who cares how they, what they may mock me or make fun of me or call me narrow-minded or, or throw all these things at me. They hurl their insults at me. They hurl insults at him. But he still finished the job because he loved you. And if there's nothing else in your life you can trust, trust the one who's gone before you and not bowed to a world of pressure, but done what's right out of love. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Seth Mitchell. And if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, you can go to blueridge.church or join us at Burnley Moran Elementary School at 7 p.m. Wednesdays or 10.30 a.m. Sundays in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.